What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Plant Remedy Podcast. It's your host, Chef Bay. How's it going? This is our 50th episode of the podcast, which is so exciting um, that we've done 50 episodes. It's just so rad. I think we'd be at way more episodes if we were doing this podcast every single week, but I've just kind of decided to let the podcast flow, let episodes come out when they need to, and put a little bit less pressure on having to do it every single week. So to all of our listeners, I'm so grateful for you guys. And um, yeah, I'm grateful that you're down with the flow. That is our very inconsistent uh, podcast. However, I have been expanding our team over here at Chef Bay. And um, that means that I actually have hired a podcast manager. So with that said, I have a feeling in the future, these podcasts are going to be much more regular as it's not just me doing everything. And of course, Steve too, we can't forget about him. So today on the podcast, I have an amazing guest. Her name's Anne Marie. She is a recent cookbook author and uh, she just recently wrote a book called The Zero Waste Cookbook. I'm so excited for this uh, cookbook. She's called The Zero Waste Chef, which I love. And um, yeah, it's just going to be a great episode. She just really talks about, I mean, both of us talk about kind of, you know, the world that we live in, how it truly is impossible to be zero waste. You know, if you're zero waste, you're not alive on this planet. And just talking about kind of like releasing the pressure of the concept of zero, zero waste, because, you know, everything comes in packaging, even in the bulk bins, it's got to come in packaging before that. So it's kind of releasing expectations of being perfect and really just kind of adopting this lifestyle and mindset of zero waste and just being a little bit more mindful in all of our shopping habits, eating habits. And the concept of zero waste isn't just surrounding plastic, it's also surrounding food waste as well. So she has so many amazing tips to kind of reduce your food waste. And I'm so excited to kind of just hop into this episode. Before we hop in, I do want to talk about something amazing that Steve and I have been up to. We are in the process of massively upgrading our online membership. So our online membership is something that we started in the beginning of the craziness of the whole, you know, lockdown pandemic. You know, we wanted to create a space for people to come to, feel in community, feel less alone, feel less isolated and cook together. And now that the world is kind of opening back up again, we really decided that this is not something that we're just doing because of the pandemic. This is something that is so incredibly valuable and so amazing that is going to last long, long after the pandemic is over. Um, And we've just been able to create such an incredible community. Um, We've seen people go from barely being able to chop veggies or feel super stressed in the kitchen to being literally faster than us when we're cooking in these classes. And just the amount of like progress that we've seen in our members has just been so incredible and confidence that we've seen in them 
in the kitchen has been amazing. So with that said, in our membership now, we have a whole community space where you can kind of like RSVP to events. They'll automatically get updated in your iCal. Um, There's a space where you can direct message me. So I'm no longer taking one-on-one clients and I'm going to funnel everything into this amazing membership. So I am doing one-on-one consulting that I've been doing, but just all virtually in in the membership um, for only 48 bucks a month. So The whole goal here is to really kind of make this accessible without breaking the bank. And so you can really like work with a nutrition consultant, private chef. Hi, that's me um, on a monthly basis in a way that's so affordable, so budget friendly and can also help you feel like you're really excelling with your health and cooking goals. So with that said, um, we're also offering a free month right now. So free month of our membership, um, you can use a code COOKWITHMAY, so C-O-O-K-W-I-T-H-M-A-Y, all caps, for the month of May to try our first month free. We really believe in what we're doing and um, we hope that this free trial can kind of like help you get inside the membership, take a few classes and get really involved so you feel really comfortable investing your time and money into the membership as well. And we are going to be funneling all the things we're doing into this membership. So um, like our challenges, we did a plant-based challenge at the beginning of the year. So coming up, we're going to be doing a breaking up with dairy challenge this summer. I'm going to do an eliminate processed foods challenge um, and any workshops and master classes outside of our cooking classes. We're also funneling through the membership as well. So Our next workshop is actually called Longevity for Your Pup. So it's all around how to kind of support your dog in their food journey and how to kind of wean them off kibble and all of the different things that you can do to kind of feed your dog a more balanced, healthy, and fresh diet. So we're going to be going into like supplements. We're going to talk about, you know, how much protein your dog actually needs based on their body weight, based on how much they exercise, and also talk about like what not to feed your dog and then look at behavioral issues and food skin allergies based on food. So it's going to be totally packed and it's basically just everything that we've learned with our pup um, over the last couple years, talking to vets, doing tons of research, watching tons of documentaries and just, um, yeah, we've been involved. So it's one of the most requested classes that we do. So we really wanted to make sure that we add it to the membership. So that class specifically is on this Thursday. I think it is the 6th or the 7th, Thursday the 7th at 6 p.m. But if you're listening to this way after May 7th, um, the best part about the membership is that it's going to live on the membership forever. So we try to focus less on the time of day and really try to focus on the content because no matter whether you get it live or not, so many of our members um watch the recordings and love watching the recordings because you can really just, you know, watch any of our classes on demand whenever it works for you. So again, you can go to www.chefbay.kitchen forward slash cook vibe heal and you can use the code cook with may m-a-y at um, checkout to get your first month free. So we're so excited to see you and once you sign up, send me a DM on Instagram or send me an email and I will be sure to make sure that, you know, it's a smooth transition getting you inside. So without further ado, let's get into this epic, epic podcast with Anne-Marie and talk all things zero waste.
All right. I'm sitting here with Anne-Marie, the zero waste chef. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Bay. Really appreciate it. Yeah. I'm like so excited for your new book, which of course we're going to talk all about before we get into it. Like, how are you doing? I think that's a really important question to ask these days. Oh, well, I mean, overall I'm doing really well. I'm really grateful, Yeah, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a year <laughs> and then so, some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over a year, over a year, but no, I'm doing well. Yeah. Good. How about I'm, you? I'm doing good. Yeah. It's uh, it's Friday right now, which I always feel like Fridays are like a, oh, okay, we did it. <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> right. We excited. made it through another week. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like to necessarily look at my weeks, like making it through, but I feel like, you know, you know, you know, you just published a cookbook and, um, it's, it's an, it's a busy time. So. Oh every- yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Insane. Yeah. All the tasks that you get done. Um, so this is the plant remedy podcast. And since I am a plant-based chef, I love to hear everyone's kind of like, what's your go-to plant-based dish right now? Oh, well, I have one in my book. It's potato cauliflower doll. You can't go wrong with potatoes and cauliflower and Indian spices. I know. I love doll. It's actually like my weakness. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And I mean, it's just vegetables and lentils. Uh, Well, and spices. Of course. And it's, you know, delicious. And then I love to have some preserved lemon on the Mm. side of that. So I'll chop up some preserved lemon or, well, and or um, fermented hot peppers so fermented Yum. serranos. That yeah. So yeah. Good. So that's really good on the side. Yeah. Do you have, oh, and- I was going to say, do you have like the fermented peppers in your cookbook? Well, I have, um, fermented hot pepper sauce. Nice. And so if you, you ferment the peppers first, okay. so you can remove some of those if you want, and then you puree, puree the rest with, you can add vinegar, a little bit of vinegar to it if you like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So sounds essentially, so essentially, yes, it's in there. That sounds amazing. And doses. I have doses in there. Mm, nice. Oh my gosh. So. I got to get my hands on this book. I'm so excited. Um, but let's backtrack a little bit. I'd love to hear about your journey, you know, just like, I'm sure you tell everyone this, but you know, we are just getting to know each other. So I'd love to hear about like your journey that kind of led you to be so passionate about zero waste and so passionate about cooking. Oh, okay. Well, I've, you know, been a foodie for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I was cooking before this. I was baking bread, but I was using commercial yeast. Now mm-hmm. I use my sourdough starter. Yeah. But it all started back in 2011. I read about this ship called the Plastiki, which was a catamaran these environmentalists built using 12,500 discarded plastic bottles and other waste materials and they sailed that from San Francisco I'm just south of San Francisco sailed it from San Francisco to Sydney Australia to raise awareness of plastic pollution in the oceans wow and so I started reading about it and I had no idea the the extent of the problem Mm -hmm. so I read about birds feeding it to their young and animals getting entangled in plastic and it's heartbreaking and it was completely unnecessary. It didn't have to be this way. 
a lot of it is for stuff we don't need. Yeah. So I was just horrified and I thought, that's it. I want off of this stuff as much as one person can, because even if I'm not bringing plastic into my home, it still exists in the supply chain for things I buy. Of course. But, you know, I have much, I have less of an impact. Definitely. So that's how it started. Then I, focusing on that waste made me aware of all waste because you have to think about everything. Right. Um, right. You live more intentionally. And so then I started, then, well, then I found out that we waste up to 40% of the food we produce in the U.S. And that number has improved a bit since I first heard that. It has or that hasn't? Was, no, it has. Okay. It has improved a little bit. So that's good. Um, but it's still, it's astonishing. Yeah. So then I started to think more about food waste also. And yeah, uh, yeah just kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> and now it's a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yep, now it's a cookbook. Yeah, that's so cool. It's so interesting too, when you think about like how many people don't have access to fresh food. And then, you know, we talk about like, you know, oh, 40% uh, gets wasted. It's like such a crazy, it's a crazy cycle that, you know, we've kind of found ourselves in. Yeah, it is. It's a crazy problem. Pre-pandemic depends on the source, but I'd say around one in eight Americans faced Mm -hmm. food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And that's before the pandemic. So that's only gotten worse. Meanwhile, we have all of this food that goes uneaten. So, yeah. And I was going to ask you this later in the episode, but I'll ask you now, do you think that zero, like the zero waste mindset is accessible for those who are suffering from food insecurity or for those in underserved areas? Or do you think that there's something that we can do to make it more accessible to more people? Well, if you live in an area with no access to fresh produce Mm -hmm. and no bulk bins, yeah, what do you mean you're going to bring home a bunch? Yeah. So I think everybody, most people can do something depending on their situation. Right. So it, it, I mean, it depends where you, it depends on where you start. And the other thing is the people wasting the most, I would imagine are the people who are at the higher level income. That's a good point. They're the Mm -hmm. ones who need to stop wasting so much. Mm -hmm. So you know, right. it, the, the industry has to stop producing so much crap. Yeah. I mean, regulation, regulation won't get rid of a lot of this. It would really help because, you know, I can stop bringing in plastic and that's not going to have a huge impact. The ripple effect helps. You know, mm-hmm. People do read my blog and, you know, they make changes and more people make changes and their friends make changes and I made changes because I read Beth Terry's blog, which mm-hmm. it's myplasticfreelife.com. So there is the ripple effect and the up top won't change until there's pressure from down below. Right. But the big change has to come from the top. I agree. And I mean, and also, so big oil is ramping up production of plastic because we're, we're going to switch to electric cars. We're going to electrify the grid. You know, fossil fuels are on their way out. I wish it was sooner rather than later, mm-hmm. but it's coming. 
So Big Oil knows that. Over the next several years, they're investing $500 billion. I believe that's the number. Maybe it's 400 billion. You know, I think it might be 400 billion. Well, anyway, I mean, it's an still a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Infinity plus infinity is still infinity. I exactly. remember that from calculus. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're investing, I think it's $400 billion in more plastic production plants. Yeah. And a lot of those are in underserviced, uh, marginalized neighborhoods. Right. There are a bunch in the upper Northeast. Um, so, and so plas- why, like plastic what? is oil in case anybody's wondering why I'm ranting about big oil. Plastic is made from fossil fuels. Right. Yeah. If you want to, if you could explain that just like a little bit in case someone is wondering like how. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I say these things just, and I forget, oh, wait, yeah, totally. (laughs) People might have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So most plastic is made from fossil fuels. So the fossil fuels, they have to be extracted from the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that causes, that releases emissions. Then they are refined often in marginalized communities. So that creates pollution. Mm -hmm. Um, Then yeah, they're manufactured into plastics, more pollution, then they're shipped around, they're used momentarily, uh, and they're filled with, I mean, they're filled with nasty chemicals. So there are a lot of toxins in that food packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're used for a little while, then they're thrown away. Because China is no longer accepting our plastic, and why should China accept our garbage? A lot of it is, I don't know the exact numbers, but some of it's being incinerated now in cities in the US. So that releases more emissions. Um, it escapes into the natural environment. So all along the, the life cycle of plastic, mm-hmm. um, it creates emissions. Yeah. This is super interesting to me because, you know, it's really easy when you're living in a big city or you're kind of like, you know, you just, you put your garbage in the trash and it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind what really kind of like shifted, I already knew a lot of stuff that was going on, but when we visited Bali, for some reason, they don't have a trash Mm -hmm. like disposal. They just, the system in Bali, just, they don't have it together. And so you would wake up some days and you would smell this like horrible smell. And it's because they have to burn a lot of their trash or a lot of it just like goes into the ocean, unfortunately. Um, And so really seeing it with my own eyes, and that's something that every country does, of course, like you were just saying, Um, but seeing it with my own eyes, I was like, oh my God, like this is crazy. You know, this is a crazy problem that they literally have to burn their trash um, just to dispose of it. Cause there's, I mean, it's a little Island. Like, what are they going to do with this trash? And not only that, because they're an Island, they get all of this plastic from the ocean washing up on their shores. Um, and that for me, you know, everyone kind of has like a big aha wake up moment for me. That was one of mine because I was just like, wow, these, this, the Balinese people are just trying to deal with like literally the world's trash right now. And they're burning it and it's polluting the air, which is not something that we really think about when we think about plastic. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I I imagine I've seen the videos and the images from Bali Mm -hmm. and Bali and other countries in Asia, um, they don't have the infrastructure to cope with the plastic that the West is sending to them. Mm -hmm. So Western companies like Nestle, They've been pushing this on them, knowing that they don't have the infrastructure to cope with it. And 
It's a disaster. It's a Western problem. Yeah. It's not because you'll hear people say, oh, all of the plastic pollution is coming from Asia. It's Asia's fault. No, mm-hmm. Western companies are pushing their crap on them and yeah. they can't, they, they don't have the waste management systems to yeah. cope with it. I mean, we, we can't cope with it over here either, but it's, it's worse over there. So yeah, they have, they burn it. They people, sometimes people just burn it in their backyards. They'll, oh yeah. Yeah. The story of the story of plastic is a great documentary. The story of stuff put out okay. in, uh, I think 2019 or 2020. Oh yeah. It's great. And it, it goes along the whole cycle. Um, it's really, I mean, you can't watch that and not want to do something. Yeah. It is really alarming and it, it's crazy. I mean, even when you go to the grocery store, you find that there is just plastic everywhere. Even if you're buying like, you know, as many produce things. I mean, for me, I got on this like crazy produce bag rant. Like that was my first kind of like, oh, oh my God, what yeah. are people doing? Mm-hmm. But the produce bags are kind of crazy because it's like, especially during COVID, I noticed it got like, oh my God, the plastic during COVID has gotten so much worse, understandably, but it's also this like fear of like not wanting things to touch other things. So then it's touching the plastic. Um, and yeah, I've gone on these like crazy rants and I've even like started talking to people in the grocery store about putting their stuff in plastic bags. And I don't want to be that person that's like coming up to strangers ranting, but it's true. Cause it's like, you know, if every single individual apple has to go into a different plastic bag, like we are not <laughs> going to get anywhere anytime yeah. soon, you know? Yeah. And people are used to shopping with their reusable shopping bags, so they can get used to the produce bags. But yeah, I, I'm the same way. When I'm at the farmer's market and I hear that that tear of someone pulling the plastic yeah. off of the roll, yeah, the big giant roll, I just kind of, uh, I know, you know, it makes me shudder a little bit. Totally. Because you would think at the farmer's market, it would be a little bit better, but I feel like there's more plastic at the farmer's market than anywhere sometimes, you know, because every time you get- at least here, like in San Diego, where I live, like at least where I, every time I get something at the farmer's market, I'm like, Oh, I'll have strawberries. The first thing they do is rip the plastic. You know, they don't even ask if you want an, if you want Mm -hmm. a bag. Um, and so it's so instinctual that it's just kind of like, it's almost like trying to shift the collective mindset around. Do you really need that? Yeah. Yeah. Well here, so I live in Palo Alto Mm -hmm. and the city implemented a ban on produce bags, uh, plastic produce bags at wow. farmers markets and grocery stores. And I should pay more attention. I'm not sure what's going on during COVID. I think they probably postponed that. It was supposed to kick in July of last year. Okay. And so I imagine they postponed it because of COVID. And I mean, just last week I was at the farmer's market and I saw people grabbing bags and they weren't compostable bags or anything Mm -hmm. they were just like big plastic bags but hopefully hopefully that ban is coming soon because the studies show that COVID doesn't doesn't live on plastic sorry lives on plastic longer than on other materials and Mm -hmm. um I mean and it it doesn't live on you know at the beginning we were all thinking oh it's on surfaces but now we know no it's it's air droplets that, that get right. you. <laughs> right. And it's just being scared in general. I think, you know, especially when it all first oh, yeah. happened, we were all like, oh, oh yeah. We we're all like, oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. We were all freaking out. 
and not, you know, didn't know what was going on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, I'd love to kind of like shift a little bit and I'd love to hear about like your typical grocery shopping experience and kind of like your typical, just what, what it looks like for you to grocery shop, being super mindful of like plastic and waste and like how that kind of looks for you to kind of like spark a little bit of inspiration for our listeners. Well, okay. (laughs) Well, so I like to tell people I first shop my refrigerator and pantry okay. before I go out to buy anything because I like to see what I have on hand and use that up first. Mm-hmm. So I'll look in there, look at, I'm pointing at my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> I look in the refrigerator and, you know, see what, what I have. I might have some cooked beans or some leftover rice or, you know, random vegetables. And then I'll decide, okay, I can make X with a, B, and C in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And then I'll maybe think of another meal I can make. And then I make my shopping list. So I do that first. Doing that cuts so much food waste. Yeah. Because yeah, I don't, I don't bring in more food that, that I can't eat. I try to eat what I have first. So then I'll go to the farmer's market. Uh, I'm really lucky. I'm in Northern California. And our farmers markets are open year round, which imagine yes. yours are mm-hmm. also in even warmer and sunnier San Diego. Oh yeah, it's always popping off in San Diego. <laughs> so then I'll yeah gather a bunch of my cloth produce bags that I make them out of um, scrap fabric, mm. and they last for years. They're just very simple bags put those in my shopping bags. And then I ride my bike over to the farmer's market. It's not far. It's actually easier than trying driving and trying to find the parking spot. And yeah, yeah, just buy. Now this week I wanted to buy something that something new that I don't um, ordinarily buy and figure out an interesting ferment for that. But I I didn't manage to to do that. So I'm going to try that again this week when I go. What is it? It's nice. To, just anything like, Oh, anything. I, I okay. just, yeah. I just want to find one thing that I don't usually buy that might be new, you know, maybe it's back in season or I've never yeah. tried it. Cause they have, they have a better variety at the farmer's market than at the grocery store. They Definitely. have, you know, unusual mm-hmm. varieties of fruit and vegetables that you don't usually see. Yeah. So I'll try that this week. And then, um, there's a bulk store on the same street as the farmer's market. So I'll go in there. I had been bringing my jars and then a few months ago, someone waited on me because we're not allowed to open the bins ourselves. Mm -mm. You can do that apparently now in San Francisco because they're in a different tier. We're still in the danger zone down here in Santa Clara County. So we can't open the bins ourselves. We have to have someone wait on us. So they were putting stuff in my jars and then someone waited on me and said, Oh, you can't do that. And I said, Oh, you've been letting me. And he said, well, we're not supposed to. So, uh, he put, they, he put my bulk stuff in paper bags. Mm. So that's, that's, that's okay. Cause I can put compost in those. That's nice. Collect in, my compost in paper bags. And- in San Diego, um, everything's in plastic. So they've gotten rid mm-hmm. of all the bulk bins and have just started like pre-packaging all the bulk stuff in plastic at every grocery store. It's insane. 
Yeah, they've done that mm -hmm. here. Some of them, you know, the chains. This mm -hmm. one I go to is a locally owned okay. mom and pop store. Yeah. Those ones, they're more willing to like kind of bend the rules a little. Well, or what they're harder. doing isn't, yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not doing anything illegal or breaking the rules by putting my stuff in the paper bags, but they're just, they want to stay in business. And so yeah. they're happy to have customers and they'll, they're more likely to do our bidding. Yeah, totally. Whereas and at a chain, they, they'll yeah. be like, eh, you know, they're more likely to say, oh no, we, we yeah. can't do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. So I usually stop at shop at Sprouts and for a long time, I think it was pre-pandemic, but they were, um, like slicing oranges and then wrapping them in plastic and putting them like on top of like the oranges to like show the, what the insides of the oranges look like. Yeah. Cause we don't know what oranges look like. And well, I guess and they like, wanted to show they were fresh or something. I don't know. Lemons and limes. And so I went to so many different sprouts and they were all doing this. And so I ended up taking it up with corporate and like went so crazy. Oh, good for you. Good and they ended you. up, they ended up stopping. So that was cool. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, I think it helped that it blasted them on social media and kind of was like, this isn't okay. You know? Um, but I think, you know, as an individual, if you get angry enough about something and you really like put it out there, I think corporations eventually will be like, okay, is this really necessary? Do we need this type of, do we need this person coming after us every day or can we? Oh, I think you know? so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think if they hear from enough people, yeah, then yeah. So I'm from Canada and we have a chain up there called Bulk Barn. Okay. It's all over Canada and gee, it's, I, I remember my mom shopping there when I was in high school. So it's been around for a long time and people kept asking them, please, in the last several years, let us bring our own containers. And they kept saying no. And, uh, finally, finally they, they gave in and they set up a program. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Bring your own container program. And I'm thinking that's probably has something to do with everybody asking. Oh, for sure. Please let us bring our own containers. Yeah. And I think so. that's so true. Like, I think a lot of us wait for like politicians and people to kind of change laws and regulations and ban things. But I also think that if we can pressure the corporate companies, um, just as much, if not more than we're pressuring politicians, I think like we could probably get more done, especially like the smaller corporations, like a company like Nestle, they're like such a giant that like, ugh, I don't know what's, what it's going to take, but. Oh yeah. No, I don't know. <clears throat> the regulation. I, mm -hmm. I mean, that's more they're like pumping the California. They're pumping California dry. I know. And we're now in a drought again. Mm -hmm. I know. I know yeah. it's wild. So so yeah, it's just, it's, it's wild. You do have, I guess like the whole point of all of this is just like, you know, if, if you are upset about something enough or passionate enough about something, there's more than likely other people who are the same. And so if you can kind of like band together, you can get things done. You know, you have to just like really be tirelessly doing it though. You, you can't give up easy. <laughs> yeah. Things don't change overnight. You have to mm -mm. keep that in mind too. And it's really frustrating. I wish yeah. things changed overnight, especially since we don't have a lot of time, but it does, it, it does take time. So yeah, yeah especially with so many mind. moving parts. Yeah, exactly. So I saw your blog post, and I wanted to kind of ask you like, you know, 
just here. Um, I think it can be really discouraging for like a lot of consumers and people really trying to do their best um, and thinking that their individual actions don't really matter that much. And so I'm kind of want to hear your perspective on that. Like do individual actions matter? Well, I think they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this argument that they don't matter. We need change from the top and, you know, individual actions don't matter at all. i we can do both. Right. It's not an either or Mm -hmm. the problem though, with individual actions is if, if, so the corporations want us to think that individual actions will, will change everything. They want us to think that, Mm -hmm. right. That corporations don't need to change. It's, Oh, all of you consumers, you bad consumers, you're the ones causing the problem. So if, if you will just clean up your act, everything will be great. Well, the needle is going to move a lot faster if corporations clean up their act. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, but we need both. We need both. And there are so many benefits to making individual changes, taking, taking action. Um, I'm healthier than I've ever been because when I cut the plastic, I cut highly processed food. I started eating more fruit and vegetables and lots of fermented food. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my, yeah, my health improved. Um, I saved money because I don't buy stuff I don't need. Overall, I could save more money if I shopped at a discount grocery store, but I like to tell people it's a package deal. I don't waste anything. And like, I don't waste food. The average family of four in the U.S. buys $1,800 worth of food every year that they don't eat. So there are just so many benefits and it makes you feel better. And I, it's good. It's good modeling for other people. There's that ripple effect. Yeah. So yeah, we, we need both. Another thing to keep in mind, industry loves it when we fight over this, mm-hmm. they love environmentalists to fight with each other because then that diminishes our voice. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. It's, uh, I definitely think individual actions matter, you know, because like you just said, you're able to be healthier. Um, you save money, like long-term you save money. And when you stop kind of like depending on processed foods, fast foods, like all of these things that are kind of packaged, um, soda, all of these things that come in like bottles and packages and all that stuff, you're able to not only make an impact, but you also have to like completely rethink how you eat and rethink how everything kind of works in your life. So then by default, you kind of start to meal plan and you kind of start to like every week be like, okay, what is our food going to look like this week? Which in turn, when you start to kind of food plan and start to kind of make a plan for yourself, then you waste less food because it's, it's in the plan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Cause you do, you do have to plan ahead when you, when you live like this, mm-hmm. you have to think ahead. I mean, you don't have to break out a spreadsheet and plan every little morsel you're going to eat, but yeah, yeah. planning's important. And another thing I find it fun. Right. So I, you know, this isn't, I don't live a horrible lifestyle depriving <laughs> myself of all kinds of things. It's, it's, it's really a really nice lifestyle. It brings me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm, definitely. So do you still buy things that are in glass containers? Sometimes I'll buy something in, in a jar. 
Oh, like Bon Mama jam. Sometimes I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. And I love the jars. I love yeah. the little jars. Yeah. But um, not that much. Mostly, mostly at the bulk bins and okay. at the farmer's market. Once in a while, I'll need something. Hmm. Yeah. The jam. Just the jam. <laughs> She's a sucker for there jam. Are other things. There are other things too, but yeah, mo- no, not very much, but um, I, I love, I love to reuse jars. So. Yeah, me too. I have so many. It's kind of ridiculous. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Same here. And I mean, like I said, from around here, it's not that hard to find bulk and, you know, right. farmer's markets are awesome. So, but and if I lived, my mom lives in Canada and it's much harder there. The farmer's market where she lives just runs from, I think, May to October. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to set up shop when it's blizzarding outside. <laughs> no, no. So what are um, like some first less obvious tips to become more infa- impactful about like your individual personal waste um, in regards to plastic and food? If someone was maybe living in a more rural area and they didn't have access to like bulk bins and stuff, like what would some tips be f- for someone to kind of make some first steps into being less wasteful? Well, maybe the first one I already mentioned is to shop the refrigerator and pantry mm-hmm. first. Yeah. And cause you'll cut food waste. You'll also cut packaging waste because most likely some of that food came in packages. Right. So if you, if the food goes south and you have to throw it out, then you have to buy more food and more packages. So mm-hmm. I think that one, um, if you don't have access to bulk bins, you live in a rural area you can buy the biggest package that you can find of something that you'll eat you know there's no sense in buying it if you're not going to eat all of the food but if your family eats a lot of oats then maybe it makes sense to buy the 25 pound bag of oats and that's what they're filling the bulk bins up with anyway oh that makes sense they don't just appear magically in there (laughs) so that's true. yeah so if you if you do that instead of buying a whole bunch of little packages that will that will cut down on the packaging I love that and there's like usually Costco's everywhere too which is kind of nice especially for like grains and stuff you can buy like the big big That's bags of, of grains and things like that although some things at Costco are very much wrapped in plastic but um there are things like grains or like big jugs of things like laundry detergent. If you don't have access to like a zero waste store. That's true. Um, One of the benefits of living in a rural area is you have more access to land. mm. So unlike in an urban area, composting is much easier and composting is really important. So if you live in a rural area, you're more likely to be able to do backyard composting because those areas a lot of them don't have green bin programs because it just doesn't make sense to drive a diesel truck really far distances to pick up your little bin of compost Mm -hmm. for the week. Yeah, it's true. We don't have compost near us and we're in an apartment. So like all of our like orange, orange peels and that kind of stuff all goes in the trash. There's really not much we can, we've tried little things and I'm looking into, they have like those, those, um, 
they're like machines what? now that you can like put oh, your right, food right. waste mm-hmm. in and it turns it into um into dirt for like your house plants. I don't know how like how user friendly those are or whatever, but I've been looking into that because you know, I mean, I'm I'm a chef, so I'm constantly cooking stuff and there's I use as much food as I can for like, you know, vegetable broth and I repurpose like all of our juice pulp and like all that stuff, but there is stuff that is just hard to reuse that would go like a mango peel, for instance, that would just right, have right. to go in the compost or the trash. Yeah. Yeah. And the pits. And the pits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there's something you can do with them, but you'll have to do, eventually they're going to have to go. Exactly. In the trash or yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, you can't eat a mango pit. <laughs> yeah. I so know, that's true. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's hard in, in rural, sorry, urban areas. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of urban areas don't have compost for apartment dwellers. Yeah. So no, it depends. It really does depend. So moving from compost to recycling, I would love to hear your thoughts about recycling. Is recycling a scam? Like, you know, I think a lot of us feel really good. And I like, I, you know, I've been known to like yell at people about not recycling, you know, but like, yeah, does it recycle? I'd love to hear, you know, your take on that. Cause I've read so many different conflicting articles about it. Um, oh. so what's the truth? Okay. Well, we have a very low recycling rate in the U S and worldwide, mm-hmm. about 9% of plastics get recycled. So Recycling makes sense for things like metal and glass. I mean, so if you buy the plastic and it's recyclable, yes, put it in the bin because there's a chance it will get recycled. Metal and glass, they're worth more. So, and they they have a value. So they do get recycled. Recycling is a market-based system. Okay. So if you put your plastic into the bin and it gets picked up, uh, it's sorted at the at the Merck material recovery facility, I think that stands for, and they bail it. If they have a buyer who can use that material, then off it goes to them and it gets turned into something else. If there's no buyer, then it gets incinerated or goes to landfill. So companies, they're producing way more plastic than the system can possibly absorb. The other thing is our tax dollars are paying for these systems, Mm. systems to clean up after wealthy corporations that are making billions in profits and we taxpayers are paying for it. So, but anyway, um, so plastics, some plastics have a really low rate of recycling. Uh, I think the ones are recycled the most often. So I would say, yes, put the stuff in the bin, but reducing is is the solution to our garbage crisis yeah we can't recycle our way out of this mess so the other thing is industry and really pushed recycling in the first place Mm. they instead of having refill refill schemes so instead of having glass bottles that you return and have them refilled coke started selling in plastic bottles and They really pushed the idea of recycling. So keep America beautiful. They, that's, if you look at the partners of that, it's Coca-Cola, Anheuser-Busch, some tobacco company, McDonald's, 
all of these companies that are creating all kinds of pollution. And the big message is don't litter and recycle. Like, no. I know. You you have to stop producing this stuff. I know. It's it's super crazy, especially when you not just talk about like plastic and stuff, when you talk about the amount of produce that they buy that has pesticides all over it, or like mm-hmm. the amount of factory raised meats and oh, dairy well, yeah, yeah. and like yeah. all of that, it's just kind of like from every single angle that you look at it, even the lettuce on the burger is causing harm to the environment because these yep, corporations yep. are doing the cheapest possible thing that they can do, which of course is all subsidized by the government, which then we in turn are paying for, you know, and I don't think a lot of people understand like the whole cycle of how like we, the consumer are also paying our taxes for this to continue to happen. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It's the whole system, the whole Mm -hmm. system, industrial, our industrial agriculture and food system. It's yeah. It's a big, huge mess. Yeah, I know it's crazy, but you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see how many people are transitioning to a more plant-focused diet, how many people are becoming more aware. And luckily thanks to, you know, books like your cookbook, people are able to start to educate and learn. And I think that's the first step, right. Is like really starting to educate and learn about things. And that's really how you got started is really just learning and being like, Oh my that's gosh, true. Like this is happening. Yeah. 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 That that's true. That was a big wake up moment. Yeah, definitely. So what do you do with your scraps besides compost? Oh, food scraps. Well, yeah. gee, I do all sorts of stuff. So yesterday I made homemade soy milk. And I, yeah, soaked the soybeans overnight. Well, actually I soaked them longer than that because I didn't get to them. I moved them to the refrigerator. Yeah, when I realized, okay, this isn't happening today. Mm -hmm. So soak them overnight and then rinse them. Um, I pureed them and then with some fresh water, I cooked that and then strained out the milk. I have so much of the leftover soybean pulp. I mean, just a huge amount. So I'm going to make granola with some of that. Well, add it to my granola. Add a couple of cups to my granola. Nice. Uh, I've made biscotti with it. I might make some biscotti. Yeah, it's delicious. And my daughter told me, she went to the grocery store yesterday and she saw the um, flour made out of the soybean pulp. It's, It's being, you know, sold as a specialty product now. So- I might dehydrate some of it and grind it up in my food processor for flour. Yum. So that's one thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, if I hadn't started down this path, well, I don't know if I would have, would be making my own soy milk in the first place, probably not. Uh, but if I had, for some reason, I would just compost all of that, mm. all of that pulp. So I use that up. Um, my little carrot tops I'm looking at right now I've been putting them in water and they're sprouting and growing yeah ideally when I put them out in the soil I'm hoping they go to seed Mm. and then I get some some carrot seeds but we'll see I regrow green onions you know you just chop down to about an inch of the white part with the roots and I put them in water and then after some green shoots start sprouting. I plant those in the soil and they do really well. 
Love that. Um, apple peels and cores, I make vinegar out of those. Uh, yeah, ferment them and I get some nice strong vinegar. Let's see my ginger bug that I use to um, make ginger beer and other natural sodas. The little ginger bits. So I have all of this minced ginger uh, and sugar and water in a jar and the bacteria and yeast on the ginger, they start to eat the sugar and right. they reproduce and they you know, get all carbonated. But I have all of these little bits of ginger left. So now when I cook a dish like doll, I just reach into my jar and grab a spoonful of that. Oh, love that. Toss that. Yeah. Saute that with the garlic instead of mincing ginger, which is not my favorite thing to do. I know. I feel like so, people really don't like to mince garlic and ginger. Like every time yeah. we teach a cooking class and we're like, okay, we're going to do the garlic and ginger. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. It's just it's a little true. tedious. <laughs> it is like crushing the gin, you know, peeling the garlic and chopping it all up. But um, yeah, so I just, I think trying to find ways to use everything. Love that. Yeah. We feed a lot of our scraps to our dog actually. She yeah, loves like no, the carrot great. tops and like the, oh, the yeah, stems yeah. of the broccoli. She eats that as like a bone instead of a bone. Oh, that's so mm-hmm. cute. Yeah. She yep. loves it. Having a dog is good for that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Oh yeah. Do you think that it's possible to be optimistic about the future of our planet? Well, what's the alternative? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, I know. you lose your mind. Mm-hmm. And also, yes, there is reason to be optimistic. <clears throat> oh, now I'm losing my voice. There, there is reason to be optimistic. When Joe Biden was running for the Democratic nomination, he had no climate plan. Mm-hmm. And then he came up with a very progressive climate plan. Um, you know, we got rid of Trump. I know. So I feel like so much more optimistic just because of that. I mean, he was reversing every environmental law, like laws dating back to Nixon. I know. I don't really know the point of why he was doing all of that either. I don't know if it was to like, you know, kind of make the super right conservatives happy who don't believe in climate change or like, I don't really know what the point was of that. And anyone who's, you know, very, you know, voted for Trump or pro Trump or whatever would say that, that he didn't do any of those things because he tried to lead people to believe that he didn't do all the things he was doing. It's all he, documented. I mean, I know. I know he did. He reversed so many things that oh, hopefully yeah. are being reinstated now. Yeah. But we, you know, we have the technology to mm-hmm. mitigate the climate crisis. We, it's not like we have to invent some some new technology. I mean, so there are things like capturing carbon and turning it into stone and things like that. Oh, but actually we already know how to do that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, we don't need some magic machine. Oh, and dispersing, dispersing, um, materials Mm -hmm. into the sky to dim the clouds is a very bad idea. (sighs) Wait, I haven't heard of this yet. Oh yeah. Solar geoengineering. I have nothing against Bill Gates. Um, my brother used to work at Microsoft, like back <laughs> early on, and yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah. So I don't have. I'm not some weirdo who thinks Bill Gates is trying to control us, mm-hmm. but he's 
putting a lot of money into solar and geoengineering and his book is getting a lot of coverage. And um, he's not a climate scientist. So climate scientists, a lot of them are saying like, no, this is a very bad idea. So you shoot uh, sulfur or something into the sky and it dims the, dims the sun. But it, it, it's a Band-Aid. Yeah, it will, if it even works, <laughs> you know, if we could actually do this. Um, yeah, it would dim, dim, dim the sun. And so it would be cooler down below here, but it doesn't address the problem of, um, of climate, of global heating. And like what's it's, the long-term effects of that? Well, so what I've read in Naomi Klein's book, uh, This Changes Everything that came out in 2000, I don't know, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. She says that um, it would be okay for the global north, but in the global south, it would stop monsoons. It would, it would be devastating. Mm. So uh, it, the idea behind it is similar to when a volcano erupts. So if a, if a volcano erupts, if it's a major eruption, and we've had a few of these in recorded mm. history, then... There's evidence that it does cool things down for a period because that it dims the sky. Yeah. Dims but the it's, sun. it's also, you know, I think the issue around that is Bill Gates, like trying to play God in a way and trying to be like, oh, I'm going to dim the sun and I'm going to like stop the natural movement of the earth instead of really just like putting the money into like stopping corporations into creating all of this pollution in the first place, you know, like what? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I haven't heard that um, yet. Yeah, yeah. So in, I um I read Michael Mann's book, which is the New Climate War, and he's a highly, highly respected uh, climatologist, and he he says this is a bad idea, um, and that you know we do we do have the tools to to mitigate the climate crisis, and if we wanted to, um, we could switch switch to alternative energy sources to renewables um, right. pretty quickly if there was the political will. So we're, we lack the political will. Yeah. That's, that's the big problem. But <sighs> yeah, so I'm optimistic. That was a long rambling answer. Honestly, it was good though. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm learning so much right now talking to you, like that stuff that I didn't even know was on the table. Um, um, it's pretty bizarre, actually. If you think about it <laughs> it's just like yeah what? i mean it's like it's a last even the scientists who are working on um solar geoengineering are saying you know we don't really want to do this but it's a last we're, we're de- so desperate that we're willing to try this wow and it's kind of crazy because it's like i feel like people are so afraid to stand up to big corporations um that you know it's like they're willing to try that, but it's kind of like, why aren't we willing to put regulations in for these corporations? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know who said this, but people can, they can imagine a world that basically ceases to exist, but they can't imagine a world without capitalism. Wow. That's so true. I know. People are very, um, 
idealistic about the apocalypse. It's kind of bizarre, actually, how many people are like ready for it and how many people talk about it and all of this stuff. But yeah, like if you talk about getting rid of capitalism, people freak out. It's so it's bizarre. True. It's true. No, uh-huh. you're absolutely right. You're right. I could start a blog about, you know, ooh, the coming apocalypse and have all my posts about the apocalypse. You're right. And I would get all kinds of views and shares and stuff. And then if I said something like, let's end capitalism. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. Well, that's a whole other big, huge That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, it's super complicated. Of course. Everything's complicated. I Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. It is just really interesting though, you know, and it's it's really like asking people to change and to really like change their expectations, how they think about money, finances, like how like like corporations are run, like it's something that's been so ingrained in us especially living in the United States where it's like to even think about changing that and capitalism of course has created amazing things, you know. Capitalism has helped, you know, cure diseases. And there's so many things that have happened that have been good because of capitalism, but we're also seeing this shift of just like, you know, how are we going to progress as humanity if we continue the exact same thing that we've been doing? Like there will be no progress. Right. Right. Yeah. And if we use the same system to fix what the system has created, the mess that the system has created. Exactly. It's, it's, I know. It's crazy. So I have a lot of like chefs who listen to this podcast. And so I wanted to ask one of, you know, the most like wasteful industries is restaurants. Right. Mm. And so I was wondering if you had like any kind of ideas or tips on how to help make restaurants use less plastic. Cause even me, I went to culinary school. I've worked in so many different restaurants myself, um, which is, you know, a reason why I kind of got out of working in that industry because there is so much waste, so much plastic wrap, so many things. And I think a lot of that is from health codes. Um, so I'm just wondering if you have any ideas of not, that's totally fine. Um, when it comes to just kind of like restaurants and being more low waste from back of house perspective. Mm. Well, one thing, if you could implement some sort of reusable container program Mm -hmm. for customers, I think that would make a difference. And if you banded with other restaurants, so I was in Toronto last year and there's this organization Ronsi reduces. So in the neighborhood of Ronsi's Vales, a bunch, so one woman started it. She convinced a business to put a little sticker in their window saying, you know, bring your own container. And so a bunch of different restaurants and businesses signed on and people, they'd see that sign, they'd know, oh, I can bring my own container. Mm-hmm. So even something like that, where you have yeah. some sort of program set up so customers can bring their own containers or you have reusable containers that customers either pay a deposit for or you partner with a company there's yeah. so there's a restaurant in Palo Alto that just started offering reusable containers for takeout and you pick up your food and then when you go back later you put it in a bin outside and then this third party comes I forget the name of the company now but they okay. clean all the stuff they wash it and then they deliver fresh, clean, uh, oh, reusable cool. takeout containers. Yeah. So more of that type of thing would help. 
Yeah, definitely. With all of the plastic. I know. Yeah. And what about like plastic wrap? Plastic wrap. Yeah. Hmm. I know restaurants use a ton of it. A ton. Like yeah. it's wild. Like everything's double, triple wrapped in plastic wrap. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't been able to think of anything that I, would. I did. I read about a restaurant. This was a couple of years ago and I can't remember where I read about it. I have a feeling that it might be in New York and the woman who owns the restaurant cut plastic wrap. She was able to do it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I can't remember how she did it. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. It's just cool to know that people are doing it and that it's possible, you know, especially if you're running a restaurant, especially in times like these, like margins are so like, it's so close. Um, so to think about doing it in a way that like, doesn't really like affect your margins, you don't have a higher cost, um, but you can be more economical, you know? Um, so it is, it's cool to know that there are restaurants that are making it happen and yeah, it's possible. There are, Mm -hmm. I, I, um, talked to a restaurant owner the other night, my daughter and I talked with her because my, my older daughter, she works in waste management Okay, and she has worked in a bunch of restaurants. And so we were trying to give her ideas for how she could have a zero waste restaurant. And, you know, I told her, unfortunately, this is probably going to cost you more. Right. But if you can focus on the food waste, especially like if you don't waste any food and you figure out a menu so that you can, you know, sort of incorporate everything and have like a hand pie du jour type of thing. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Stuff like that. You know, you'll, you'll save money because yeah, restaurants throw out, they throw out so much food, some of them, which Mm -hmm. I don't know how you stay in business if you do that, but (laughs) yeah, you just Um, cost it in, I think. mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be a cool, that'd be a cool class um, for you to teach or something just mainly for restaurant owners, you know, to talk about how to be less wasteful. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, I told my daughter that I said, you know, we should, we should do this again. We should do this more often because the, the woman opening the restaurant, she was, you know, she was so happy with all of the ideas we came up with. Ooh, San Diego has Surfrider has some sort of program in San Diego. Yeah. They have like a, it's like a clean ocean restaurant. So they don't do any like, yeah, no, San Diego actually, I didn't think it when I first moved here, but San Diego in general has like a ton of like, other than the fact that the city itself doesn't compost, um, they have a ton of cool programs and yeah, Surfrider is really great. Um, I'll leave Surfrider's website in the show notes too, if anyone's interested. Um, but San Diego also has just like a ton of like conscious restaurants in general. Like they have the most like plant focused restaurants of like almost any city that I've been to. It's kind of insane. Like there's so many. Um, and so it's cool to think about, but And yeah, when you think about restaurants, like so many, like restaurants are really like responsible for feeding the community, you know, so many people eat out at restaurants, like almost every day. And so I feel like that would be such a great place to focus on, um, is how we can get restaurants to be more eco-friendly. Yeah. Yeah, it would. Mm -hmm. Because if, if one restaurant made a couple of small changes, yeah, it would be decided to switch to reusable containers. You know, that'd be mm-hmm. hundreds, 
maybe thousands, thousands, you know, mm-hmm. a lot more than my own little changes, but, but my own little changes are important too. Exactly. <laughs> we so, need it all. Like we, we can't be yeah. picky. We'll take no. whatever we can get. We'll take it. <laughs> you want to make changes. Great. Please I love that. join us. Well, we haven't talked about your book yet. So let's talk about your book. Tell me all the okay. details. Let's get into it. Um, tell me everything. Oh, okay. Well, uh, it's called the zero waste chef plant forward recipes and tips for a sustainable kitchen and planet. Nice. So Love yeah, it. so it, um, uh, at, up front, I have some opening chapters. So I have one on, uh, you know, why reduce your waste in the first place, mm-hmm. kind of what's at stake. I have a chapter I called cooking like grandma. So that's about cooking techniques. Yeah. And I have a chapter on fermentation, a uh, little explanation of that and troubleshooting. Um, I have the tools you need, which are not that extensive really. Right. And um, yeah, like a good knife, hey, uh, lots of jars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A knife and jars. I know. Totally. Yep. Nice. Uh, and-, and then I have, pardon me. Oh, oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, then I have, uh, yeah, the recipes. So it's 75 recipes and, uh, it's a vegetarian book, but it has lots of vegan stuff in it. It's about two thirds it. vegan and, um, yeah, fermentation, sourdough. And I, so I tried to come up with things that use the whole part of a vegetable and I give tips at the end of each recipe, like, okay, you might have this leftover, go to page what not oh, awesome. to, to make something else. Yeah. Cause I think if you start something from scratch for dinner every night, well, I mean, nobody has time for that, but That's if true. you have some <laughs> co- components already made mm-hmm. in the refrigerator that you can quickly throw together and make a meal out of, it just, it reduces stress in your life. So like there's one recipe in here, uh, it's kernel to cob corn chowder. And so I used everything. I made broth out of the cobs and the silks and the husks. Oh, and I buy organic corn, you know, because the husks yeah. have less, you know, not pesticide residue. Yeah, important. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I um, so I made yeah, I made broth out of that, and then made chowder with the broth. And while I prep everything, um, I have some cashews soaking in the hot broth. And then after I cook it, I puree that and add it and make this nice thick corn chowder out of all the parts of the corn. Well, you soak the cashews in the broth. Smart. Why have I never thought of that before? That's amazing. I'm going to do that. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll usually make like a cashew cream kind of on the side and then I'll add it. But to soak it in the broth is so genius. Oh, oh, thanks. Well, I'm already getting the, ideas. The corn cob broth is really yummy. Mm, that's going to be because when you cut summer. all the kernels off, I mean, you still have some little bits stuck on there and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's delicious. Totally. So and it's so sweet too, right? Like I feel like corn has so much like juice in it almost like it's very juicy. If you get like a good fresh organic one. Oh um, yeah. 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 So I could totally see that. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm definitely gonna have to get this cookbook. This sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, Do you have a tofu recipe in there? I don't. 
I was like for homemade tofu. Yeah. Cause that's like the one no. thing that I buy all the time that I like is wrapped in plastic that I know yeah, I yeah. like could be making it, but I go through so much tofu, at least with my clients and stuff. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, you can make your own, like, what's your opinion on? Oh that? yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's why I made soy milk. I talked about my soy milk earlier. Yeah. I made yeah. it to make tofu. Uh, so the tofu recipe is on my website. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Zerowayshef.com. Yeah. I just, I didn't put it in the book because it sort of didn't, I don't know. It, um, I kind of didn't fit in with my little puzzle. Like the book's kind of like a puzzle. Yeah. I love that. But well, if it's already on your blog, I, too. I, yeah, it's on my blog. But if I do another cookbook, I would, I would put it in that one. And mm-hmm. then I would have a bunch of recipes for the leftover pulp and the tofu. So, um, like I want to make a paneer dish, but mm. instead of paneer, I'll put the tofu in. I make this really yummy paneer dish with uh, it's a tomato sauce, tomato and onion sauce mm-hmm. and be great with tofu. So yeah, mm. yeah. I'm all for making tofu. I just didn't put it in the book. Um, oh, and then I made, um, like a kimchi stew a mm. little while ago and I put some of the leftover pulp in it and the tofu and my homemade kimchi. Yum. Um, yeah, it was really good. That was really good. So yeah, if I, if I do another book, the tofu will be in there with a bunch of things to do with it. Yeah. Awesome. And, the, and the pulp, but, um, the, now the trick to making tofu is finding the coagulant. Mm-hmm. All you need for soy milk is you just need water and the soybeans. And right. I buy, um, organic soybeans grown in the U S and, um, first you make soy milk, then you add the coagulant to it. You heat up the soy milk. I use Nagari, uh, N I G A R I. That's the best. You can okay. use Epsom salt, but it's softer tofu, but that's okay if you want to scramble or something. And apparently you can use lemon juice, but I haven't tried it. And I think it would be even softer than the tofu made with um, Epsom salt. Yeah, I think it would be too. Okay. I'm totally going to have to do this now. Now oh, I'm on yeah. a mission. Now I'm on a tofu mission. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's similar to making ricotta cheese. Okay. Yeah. It's a similar process. Okay. Yeah. You, but you get a ton of the, of the bean pulp. So you have to be, you get a little bit of tofu and you get tons of pulp, a lot of the leftover pulp. But okay, if you think ahead, you can figure out something to do with it. Love it. It seems as if though, like, you know, thinking from a zero waste perspective, like you just have an opportunity to be so much more creative in the kitchen, making things that you never would have made before, which I think can really like spark inspiration and new motivation for people. Cause I, the number one thing that I hear from people when it comes to cooking at home is that they just, a don't have time and B they're not inspired. They're bored. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. Cooking this way makes you so much more creative Yeah. because you've, I, well, parameters do that. Mm-hmm. So my, my degrees in English with the concentration in creative writing. And I remember in one class, our teacher gave us, she said, okay, you have to write uh, a story and it has to be 10 lines. And the first line is 10 words. The second is nine, then eight, seven, six, five, mm-hmm. four, three, two, one. And just having those parameters, like I wrote this awesome thing. Whereas if she just said, write whatever you write want. Write anything. Yeah. You'd be like, 
oh my god totally i have no idea and it would just be this yeah. my, anyway for me i would just write this horrible drivel but since she gave us the, those parameters that's always i don't know it's always kind of stuck out in my mind how parameters just make you more creative i think it's a just I a natural so thing yeah because it, it can it helps it's more like a push in the right direction like it kind of like guides you into a, a direction that maybe you wouldn't have gone in before and I think also instead of looking at trying to be more low waste as like a chore or like okay I need to do this if you can look at it more of an adventure and kind of like something that you kind of get to do and it's a fun way to kind of like shift your mindset and what you're doing yeah 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 I think so Love that. So do you have any, um, words of wisdom for our audience before I let you go? Um, well, I would say if you are interested in reducing your waste and trying some of this stuff, don't worry about being perfect. Yeah. It's impossible. Don't get hung up on the zero and zero waste. It's just a number Mm -hmm. and it's a goal that you never actually reach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. because it's just not possible so you know don't worry about that just try it and um you know you can't do it overnight right it's impossible I mean you'd go crazy yeah totally well thank you so much for coming on the show and uh I will leave all the information in the show notes on where you can grab your amazing cookbook and I appreciate you taking the time oh well thank you so much for having me on this was fun all right y'all that is our show today thank you again to Anne marie the zero waste chef for coming on the show and sharing so much information just about the world with us i learned so much myself from talking to her and um, i am more than inspired than ever to make my own tofu and to just kind of be less wasteful when it comes to my own plastic use I feel like ever since the pandemic, it's been, you know, I haven't been as good as I want to be. So I'm so inspired to keep going and to keep being more mindful about my own waste and my own plastic use. And I would love to hear what inspired you in this episode. So if you wouldn't mind leaving a comment below, we'd appreciate it so much. And um, yeah, it really makes all the difference in the world, all of your comments. So thank you guys so much. I'll see you in the next episode. It's going to be a good one. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. And of course, don't forget to eat your greens. Bye guys.